Psalm 133. We've only got tonight and next week, and we finish up our study of the Psalms of Ascent. And then I've got some exciting news to share with you all next week about where we're headed, not only the rest of this year, but into next year as well. In fact, I'll be sharing that with everybody on Sunday, too. Trying to get a few more people maybe out on Wednesday night. Tonight, Psalm 133. This is the last Psalm of Ascent written by David, the beloved of God. And this Psalm is... I mean, all of these Psalms of Ascent can stand alone. But Psalm 133 and 134 really are coupled together. And let me share, first of all, why that is, because I want you to see that even before next week. Psalm 133 is all about the blessing that God's people will get as they come together to even travel to Jerusalem. And then by making the effort to be there, God's going to give them a blessing. Remember I said even at the beginning tonight, you all are in a sense living out, fleshing out this passage. Because God promised His people, a blessing will be available to you from me if you make the effort to come together as one and worship me. So Psalm 133 is all about those that are going to Zion. You'll see that there uh, in verse 3 of Psalm 133. It is like the dew of Hermon, which flows down upon the hills of Zion. Notice those two words at the end, of Zion. Now I want you to go down to Psalm 134 and look at the last two words of that psalm. From Zion. You see, what what these two psalms are doing is Psalm 133 is all about the people who are headed to Jerusalem and how they're being encouraged to keep on doing what they're doing because God will bless them for their effort to come together and to worship Him. Psalm 134 is all about now they're leaving. They're going back home. But they're not going back empty-handed. They're going to take a blessing with them as well. And we're going to talk about that next week. So this psalm, three verses, I'm going to read it. And what the psalm is all about again is that God blesses His people when they make the effort to come together to worship Him. Notice what David says. Look how good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together. It is like oil poured on the head which flows down the beard, Aaron's beard, and then flows down his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon which flows down upon the hills of Zion. Indeed, that is where the Lord has decreed. A blessing will be available. Eternal life. First of all, let's remember something. All the Psalms of Ascents from 120 to 134 are all about stepping up in elevation or going up higher, not just physically, but spiritually. 
And so this psalm again reminds us, if we want to go up spiritually, we've got to be willing to come together as God's people. Now the first thing, though, that David does is he wants to talk about the quality of this blessing that God gives in verse 1. A quality of the blessing. First of all, notice the very first word, look. That word could also be translated behold or see in your Bible translation. It simply means pay attention to this. This is important. Are we seeing it? Are we beholding it? Are we looking at it? You know, many times even in life, we can be standing next to something and not really notice it, not really take it in. God wants us to take in how beautiful it is when we are part of a community of believers that come together to worship Him. To not take for granted these times where we come together on Wednesdays and on Sundays and on, you know, the ladies on Thursdays and the men on Saturday morning and, you know, home Bible studies and small groups and all these different things. It's important that we do these things. So he says, look, first of all, how good. The word means beautiful. Get what David is saying here. He's saying from God's perspective, it is a beautiful thing when brothers live together. We'll talk a little bit more specifically about what that means in a minute when we get there, but the essence is what's this psalm about. It's directed to a group of people who have made the effort not just to leave all their homes all over the nation of Israel and come to the temple in Jerusalem a couple times a year, but they coordinated with each other to be able to make that trip by traveling together so that they could worship the Lord on the way, not by themselves, but with other believers. That took coordination. That took planning. That took effort. In other words, it would be like us saying, hey, you know, we're going to go to someplace else and, and we're going to all meet there and worship. And I'm just going to use this because we're actually bouncing around this idea for next year because so many people have a hard time getting to our church picnic because it's on a Saturday. We're actually thinking about having our church picnic on a Sunday next year, having our worship service out there, and then having the picnic. But anyway, it would be like, okay, let's do something like that. I know. We'll talk. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know how these ideas get in my head. And Nicole just like, oh, geez. Uh, anyway, we're diverting here. Uh, it would be like then all of us going, okay, well, we're going to have to make that trip, but we're not going to make it alone. We're going to start carpooling and getting together with each other, and we're going we're gonna to come together and make it even more enjoyable because we're going to, in our cars or vans or whatever, we're going to worship the Lord on our way out. And God is saying, that's a beautiful thing. I love it when my people make the effort to come together and do this. So it's good. And then David says how pleasant it is. The word pleasant means delightful or sweet. Again, from God's perspective, the reason why He blesses is because it's such a blessing to Him when His children come together and worship Him. 
think of it from this perspective, and this isn't a total parallel here, but in some way it, it may help. Parents, especially when your children get older, doesn't it do your heart good whenever your children, especially as they're older children, adult children, get together with each other and get along with each other? Isn't there something that sort of warms your heart as a parent to see children getting along with each other? I mean, that's true even at a young age. But as they get older, and it, and it would be harder even because I'm talking about, yeah, it's easy when they live within one household. Obviously, they're always together. I'm talking about having to make a little bit of an effort. That's like sort of where my two children are right now. They don't live in the same household. So if Stephen and Beth want to get together, they've got to make more of an effort to do it. And yet, when that happens, there's something that's very beautiful about that from a from a parent's perspective. Well, it, God's our Heavenly Father. And how much more does it warm His heart? How much more beautiful is it when you and I all don't live together, but where we try to make the effort to come out of our houses separately and come together and be together and do life together? God says, it's beautiful and it's sweet to me. And that's why their blessing will be available to you. See, I think God blesses us when we make the effort to come out together. And then, David says, when brothers live together. Now, obviously, in the context, he's not talking here about a physical family. He's talking about one's spiritual community. And I love the word live because it, it, it means to be close to each other. In fact, I like the word huddle, not just because we're in football season. It really does paint the picture of what David is saying here. David is saying how beautiful and how delightful it is when our spiritual brothers and sisters all huddle together. God says that's a beautiful thing. And it's not just talking about coming together, though that's the first part of it, but it's also talking about being unified when we do. We're going to talk more about that a little bit later on. Because God, again, just like a parent would be very displeased if their children came together and all they did was fight all the time, that wouldn't bring warmth to a parent's heart. God says, when my children come together, I want them to get along so that they can be unified in their worship of me. Because isn't this true? And aren't we like this even as human beings? If we're not getting along with people, what do we try to do? We avoid them. Don't we? We stay away from each other, usually. And that's why it hurts the heart of God when His people can't learn to get along with each other. Because what will end up happening if we don't learn to get along with each other and navigate our relationships with each other? We will stay away from each other. We will avoid each other at all costs. I mean, I even saw that the other day. You know, I, human behavior is like my thing. I mean, as a pastor, I mean, you know, you're dealing with human behavior all the time. And I literally saw what I guess at one time were two friends and the one caught sight of the other one before the other one saw that. And they literally made like 
the, the wide art, like, oh, I don't want them to see me. I don't want to see them. Here we go. I'm going down another aisle. That's why God says, it's so beautiful to me and it's so delightful and sweet to me when my people work to come together, first of all, because it does take effort because we're not all living under the same roof. And then he says, and when you come together that you're willing to lay aside your you know, personal agendas and all that and you're willing to get along and unite and be close to each other and learn to get along with each other. And so the quality of the blessing is it is beautiful, it is sweet, it is delightful. Then notice the illustrations of this blessing. Two illustrations David gives. David loved to be able to paint pictures that we could see. Jesus did that a lot in parables. And David does it here. He takes the principle of coming together and he says... This is what it reminded me of. First of all, he said, it reminded me of the anointing oil that was poured on the head of the high priest. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is this. I want you to notice the copious amount of oil that they would put on the high priest when they anointed him. Why do I say that? Because notice what David said. When we anointed the high priest... The oil that was poured was in such a profuse amount that it literally ran down his head, his hair, the ringlets that he would have had on the side of his hair. It would have run down his beard and still been flowing all the way down through his robe to the very tassels at the bottom of his robe. Now that's a lot of oil. Why did they use so much oil? Because the anointing oil was, first of all, to be symbolic of the blessing of the Lord. It was to remind the nation of Israel and the people of God how extravagant and how great God blesses His people. He doesn't just pour out a little bit. It was a copious, profuse amount of oil that was poured over the head of the high priest. It was like the woman who anointed Jesus. She didn't just dab him with a few little drops. She broke that baby open and she poured the whole thing out. Remember, that's why the disciples were so upset. Man, that was expensive. That could have been sold for a lot of money. And she just poured it all out. Why? Because it's the idea that, first of all, you and I can't out-bless God, we can't out-give God, and that God has been so rich in pouring out Himself and all that He does on us, that's part of what the anointing was all about. Second, I want you to see here that it was on the high priest. Why is that significant? Because again, it taught the people of Israel that their blessings only came because of the ministry of the high priest. Just like Jesus is our high priest. And took the sacrifices and put that blood upon the altar and all of that so that there could be a way. In other words, the high priest sort of, again, was the representative of to God of the people. 
the, the one who stood in the gap, the one who, and obviously Jesus Christ now is the ultimate high priest that did away with all the Old Testament priesthood because there's no need for it. What Jesus Christ did, the book of Hebrews, far supersedes and exceeds anything that a human high priest could do. But the picture was this. The blessing came only because of the ministry of the high priest and what he did. They had to be reminded that there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be shedding of blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And they had to understand that, that that came through the ministry of the high priest. Third, and I love this too. Let's get real practical here tonight. The ministry of the high priest was a very stinky, smelly, dirty job. This guy was always handling blood, dead animals. Uh, He was in a place where there would have been a lot of smoke from the altar of incense. Let's just say it very plainly, folks. He stunk. The high priest stunk. Why? Because he was, in a sense, involved in what? A dirty business. He was involved with us and our stuff. And our stuff is dirty. And, and there's sin and there's all this. And it's, it's dirty. It needs to be dealt with, but it's a dirty job. But the anointing oil was poured so abundantly upon the high priest that this perfume of this unbelievable anointing oil would envelop the high priest so much that he could go in and do his dirty work, if you will, and yet it smelled so wonderful as he did it. Because it was also a great picture that the blessing that God was bringing through the ministry of the high priest and all of that dirty work far exceeded the dirtiness of it. It covered it, you see, when we did it God's way. And so what a beautiful picture here. And David is saying, that's what it's like when God's people come together. It's like God just pours out this oil and yeah, we all come with our stuff and we've all got our stuff to deal with, but what God will pour out on us and just rolls down over all of us far exceeds all that dirt. All that smell. All of it. It is all superseded by the blessing of God through the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ, the high priest. And then, have you ever been in worship of the Lord or in hearing God's word with God's people and yet your mind and your body is sort of transported somewhere else? Like, God takes you to someplace else? I'm not trying to get weird on you here. This is biblical. David said exactly the same thing. He says, you know what? When when we came together as God's people in the temple, he said, you know what it reminded me of? And David would know because he was from this region. He said, it reminded me of the dew on Mount Hermon. 
that would flow off the mountain because Mount Hermon was the highest elevation in Israel and, and it would literally get snow-capped and all of that would melt and then all the dew and all that moisture and it literally would flow down and it literally would come to the very desert region of Jerusalem that was very hot, arid, and dry like Phoenix. And that's exactly the picture that David is saying here. He says, when we come together and worship the Lord, it's like I'm sitting in a spiritual humidifier. He said, it's, it's like I go from being dry. Because that's what Zion was. Zion was dry. Jerusalem is dry. You, you ever been there? It's a very hot, dry, arid place, just like Phoenix. But not all of Israel is like that. And David goes, yeah, when I was a young boy and I lived up close to Mount Hermon, I remember that dew. Because see, dew is symbolic of that gentle refreshment of God. And David is saying, when I come together with God's people and we're all coming together and we're singing songs and we're praising and all that, I just feel like the dew of God is just sitting on me and I'm being gently refreshed as I come to worship the Lord. What great illustrations... David is giving us here of the blessing of God upon His people when we come together to worship Him. But then I want you to notice this as well. And we've already talked about this, but this is so emphasized here. I want you to see in three times, in verse 2 and in verse 3, notice the words, flows down. That's significant. First of all, the oil poured on the head, which flows down the beard. Then, notice, flows down his garments. Then the dew of Hermon, which flows down the hills of Zion. A threefold emphasis. Why? Because it is focusing us on the fact that unity and blessing and all of this come from above. They are divine gifts that come from God. They come down. Doesn't that remind you of James 1.17? All good and all perfect gifts come where? From above. From the Father of lights, James 1.17 says. That's where it all comes from. It flows down from God. And David is reminding us of that as well. But then, in the very last part of verse 3, he says this, Indeed, Okay, he's talked about the quality of the blessing of God, illustrated the blessing of God. Now he once again wants to reinforce, indeed, that is where, so David's talking about a place here, that is where the Lord has decreed a blessing will be available. Where's the place? Zion. It is where God's people come together. Just like he said in verse 1, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together, when they come together, when they are close, when they live in spiritual community, when they come together and make the effort to come together and worship Him. God says, that's where I will bless you. Now, that's not the only place God blesses. But God is specifically saying in His Word, I will give you a blessing when you come out to my house and worship with my people and come together as one. In fact, this whole psalm is really what Jesus prayed. I want you to keep your finger there because we're going to come back to Psalm 133. I want you to go over to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. I want you to see this prayer, part of the prayer of Jesus in John 17. It's exactly what David 
has said here. John 17, verses 20 through 23. This is the prayer of Jesus right before he's betrayed and arrested. Look at verse 20 through 23. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, I'm not praying only on their behalf, speaking about his followers right there and then, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their testimony. That's you and I. That they will all be what? One. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. You see, one of the reasons why oneness and unity is so important to God is because it is a beautiful picture of God Himself. He's a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yet they are what? One. Perfect unity amongst the Godhead. And God says, I want my people, though they are individuals, though they are diverse, I want them to be like me. And in order to be like God, that means we have to be what? One. Notice what Jesus goes on to say. I pray that they will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. The glory you gave to me, I have given to them that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one. So that the world will know that you sent me and you have loved them just as you have loved me. Notice what Jesus is also saying there. He's saying the, one of the greatest witnesses, testimonies, that you and I as his followers can have to the world, to the watching world, is to learn to get along and be one like God is one. That's part of the reason why the witness of the church and the testimony of the church has not made the impact that it should and could over the centuries. Why? Because the world looks at the church and looks at a group of people, for the most part, that can't get along with each other and is always fighting with each other and striving with each other and where there's divisions. And yet Jesus said, God, I'm praying that they are one. So that's why David, way back in Psalm 133, a thousand years before the time of Jesus, said how beautiful and how sweet and delightful it is when brothers live together. You can see that because that's always been the heart of God. That His people would learn to get along and be one with each other and especially in our worship. Again, how heartbreaking is it to God if just take the Oasis, for example. and Let's go to Sunday and our worship there. And I'm just going to divide the auditorium in half. This half and that half. And let's just say, as I'm looking from the stage out, this half, they all get along with each other, but they can't stand the people on the other side of the auditorium. And the people over here on this side of the auditorium, they can get along with each other, but they can't stand the people on this side of the auditorium. And yet we're all singing the same songs and we're all lifting up our voices in praise to God, and we're saying, God, we love you, and how great and wonderful you are, and how much you've blessed us, and yet God looks down from heaven and sees, you all hate one another. How can that be acceptable to Him? How can that be pleasing to Him when He looks down, hears our worship, and knows we're not getting along? 
And now you can begin to understand why Jesus even said, if you come to worship me, and you know that there is something between you and a brother or sister in Christ, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right and then come and worship? Why? Because Jesus wants us to be what? One. One. Back to Psalm 133. So that's why I tell... You know, people think that I just want people to come to church because I'm a pastor. No, I want you to come to church because the Bible teaches you will be blessed when you come as part of His community of believers and you make the effort to come with other believers and you come together to worship Him. On Wednesdays, on Sundays, whenever. This is where, notice, the Lord has decreed a blessing will be available. Let me say this. Scripture knows nothing of solitary Christianity. People of faith are always members of a community. Let me repeat that. Scripture knows nothing of solitary Christianity. It doesn't exist in the Bible. There is no such thing. So all these people today who claim to be Christians who say... I don't need to be part of a church. I don't need to physically get together with my brothers and sisters. I can, I can listen to a message uh, on TV and I can get God's Word. I get that. You can get, but, but you're missing the dynamic of coming together as God's people, serving one another, encouraging one another, and lifting up our voices together and worshiping Him. There's something God says very special for you and to Him whenever He looks down and sees us coming together as one. And God says, that's where I have decreed a blessing will be available. Eternal life. Now, very interestingly, this word doesn't just mean what you might think, like, oh, well, we all have eternal life. But this word speaks more about being alive, about the continuing vitality of the community of believers. In other words, God is saying more than just, you already have eternal life if you believe in Jesus Christ or if you have faith in God in the Old Testament. David was saying, when you come together as one and you worship me, God will bring a vitality into that community of believers. There, there will be an energy there. There will be an enthusiasm there. There will be a, an anticipation and, and a willingness to come. And can I say, one of the encouraging things for me on Sunday was, I saw that on Sunday. I saw people trying to get to church early or on time. And when they came into the auditorium, it was like, let's worship the Lord. Let's, let's get going right away. And it was like you were engaged and you were clapping and, and you were singing out and all of that. And, and that's, that's what I think is so precious to the Lord. And God says, when my people do that, they don't understand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring into that this, this vitality and, and this aliveness, if you will. You're going you're gonna to leave that time together feeling like you've been lifted up and encouraged and refreshed. And that's why it's like it's so sad when Christians don't make it a priority to do that because they're missing out. I, I, I tell Christians all the time, you're missing a blessing when you don't come. You're missing a blessing. Because God has a blessing available when we come together 
and we worship Him. When God's followers do life together as one, it's something very special to God. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 15, verse 6. And then we're going to put into practice our message tonight. Romans chapter 15, verse 6. In fact, I'm going to start with verse 5, since verse 6 sort of starts in the middle of the sentence. Romans 15, 5. Now may the God of endurance and comfort give you, what? (laughs) Unity with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, and here it is, so that together, not apart, so that together you may with what? One voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. David wrote Psalm 133 because he was trying to encourage these pilgrim travelers who left their homes for weeks at times to come to Jerusalem to worship God. He was trying to encourage them. It's worth it. God will bless you for your effort as you seek to come together with God's people and come to the house of God and lift up your voice as one to Him, a blessing will be available. And guess what, folks? I believe I can say that to everyone here tonight. I believe God will bless you for being here tonight. 